Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Daniel chapter 4. As we look at the chapter in its entirety today in a Bible study that I've entitled, Not Very Creative, God Reaches the Unreachable, Part 2. We looked at Part 1 last time as we left off praying for those in our lives that seem to be unreachable. They seem to be too far. They seem to be out of God's reach. Their hearts seem so hard and so beyond salvation. And we, we pray for them because we know that God answers prayer and that no one is beyond the reach of God. We know that God can reach people because look at us. Look around the room. We know that wherever condition we were in, the hardness of our heart, the resistance we were offering, the rebellion that came from us, God reached us. And don't ever forget the work of God in your life because the work of God in your life is a reminder that God can reach anyone. And we know by faith that someone even as important as King Nebuchadnezzar, who seems untouchable by the gospel. After all, if God laid upon your heart to reach someone in the upper echelons of government or the upper echelons of your, the corporation you work for, and you're like, I don't even think I could ever get an audience with that person. And, and if, even if I did, they'd probably give me two minutes and I wouldn't know what to say and I'd be all nervous and they wouldn't listen to me and I don't even know if I'd want to go into his office, he would fire me and they seem so untouchable. And not only do they see so untouchable, but you look at yourself and you say, God could never use me. But both of those things are untrue. Not only are those folks touchable and reachable, but so are you to be usable. And Nebuchadnezzar, we learn in chapter four, is very powerful, very prosperous, very self-sufficient, very successful. He's the world ruler. He's ruling the known world, filled with pomp, pompous pride. And God knew what it would take to reach him. And remember the tool that God used in Nebuchadnezzar's life was his sleep. It was his sleep, something that we take for granted. It was in his sleep when there was no other input in his life that God got his attention using dreams. Dreams that shook him. Dreams that caused him to ask questions. Dreams that stirred him. And God knew what it would take. And just remember, the person you're praying for, God knows what it'll take. Or maybe you look at your own life and you go, I don't know, I've been wrestling with this for a long time and I just don't see any way out. No, God knows what it takes for you to be released and to walk in freedom. God knows. So notice in verse one of chapter four in Daniel, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you to all know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs and how powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever. His rule through all generations. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. But one night, and mark that, just mark that phrase. All it took was one night. He had all of his life, all of the years that he lived, all of the actions, and, but it was one night because one night can change everything. 
And as he's giving his testimony, he says, one night I had a dream that frightened me. And I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. As we learned last time, the king had it made. There wasn't much more for him to conquer, much more for him to do. He, you could say that he came to a place in his life where it, it was cruise control and he was enjoying the prosperity. He had all the money, all the power, all the prestige. It was all his. You could say that he was at the top of the corporate ladder. He would be the number one on the Forbes 500 list. You know, he would be in the realm with the guy that owns Amazon, the guy that owns Microsoft. That's the world. He would be on that $300 million yacht and he'd have all the movie stars. Like that would be his life. And we, when you would see the highlights of his life, there would be portions, I'm sure, of his life to say, I wish I could do that. Here I am working and here I am struggling and here I, and I wish I could have that. That's where he was, as we see many in our culture in the same place. He had met all his goals by this time in his life. And he was at rest. Or in verse 4 it says, he was in comfort. And how often we want comfort and prosperity in our lives. We really believe that that's the answer to all of our problems, comfort and prosperity. But it was comfort and prosperity that brought great problems to Nebuchadnezzar. And in his comfort and in his rest, he couldn't sleep on this one night. <laughs> he couldn't sleep. And it says that God sent him a dream, or really he doesn't, he says, I have a dream, and that, notice, it frightened me. And he also says in verse five that he had visions that terrified me. Now those words have meaning in the original language of dread. He had a dream that brought dread into his life. Terrible fear. Back in Daniel chapter 2 verse 31, Daniel says, In your vision, O majesty, you saw standing before you a huge steining statue of a man, and it was a frightening sight. It made you afraid. And it's true that a person can have it all. A person can have everything that maybe you want and still be afraid about the future and still be concerned about tomorrow because nobody is, has true peace apart from God. Peace is found only in a relationship of trust with your creator by faith in Jesus Christ. Peace will not come any other way. This world is not designed to give a person peace. This world works on a system of fear and control, this culture that we're in. It works on a system that even a man that, could, that we would consider to have everything a person would ever want, it wasn't enough to calm him when he got this dream. It wasn't enough to bring peace. He couldn't, at this point in his life, couldn't just shake it off and go, well, you know, I know the dream's troubling, but, and I know I have this dread, but look at all my money, and look at all of my servants, and look at all of my palaces, because those things don't satisfy, and they don't bring peace. Peace. Remember in our study this last weekend as we were talking about sharing the gospel, if you weren't with us, I shared four things that every unbeliever deals with. Four things that are universal in every culture, every language. It is universal to human beings and we use the word self. So when you're sharing the gospel, you know that one of these four things or all of these four things are going to be touched in a person's life. They have, a, number one, a need for security. They, they want to have that sense of security. Secondly, they deal with this thought of eternity. What's going to happen after I die? Thirdly, they deal with loneliness. That you could have it all and still be amazingly alone. And then finally, remember, 
they have those feelings of guilt and they have that weight of guilt that sin continues to bring in. And if you don't deal with the guilt in your life, it gets heavier, not lighter. It gets harder, not easier. And so God sends a dream to get this attention of this unreachable man. So he says in verse six, so I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. So the dream humbled him. It wasn't something he could keep to himself. There brought a humility in him where he shared with the people that he trusted to come and explain to him what he saw. He wanted to know the answer. And so he called people that said they could, but he did what was natural which is often the case. He calls in the magicians, the astrologers, the soothsayers. Basically, he called in his psychic friends, the ones that were lying to him all along, and he asked them what it bid. But notice in verse seven, when all the magicians and chanters came in, he, he, when he told them the dream, they could not tell me what it meant. But verse eight says, at last Daniel came in before me, and I told him the dream, and he was named Belteshazzar after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. And I said to him, verse nine, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. While I was lying in my bed, verse 10, this is what I dreamed. I saw this large tree in the middle of the earth and the tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and the birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. And the messenger shouted, cut down the tree and lop off its branches. Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass and let him be drenched by the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. Let's pause there. As he's recalling this dream, he goes back and remembers what Daniel did. Daniel has stayed, remember he was elevated to this high position because Daniel had been called for that previous dream. And as Nebuchadnezzar's wrestling with the reality of life, we see, that, we see that he is still in a place of wanting to know the truth. You need to remember that with the people that are in your life right now, the ones that you're frustrated with, the ones that you don't necessarily know how to answer, maybe the ones that you're even avoiding and don't want to answer. You don't want to step into that situation again. They didn't listen to you the last time. Like Nebuchadnezzar, he's wrestling with the reality of who he is apart from God. He may not be able to articulate it. He may not be able to explain it. And even in his own language, he's saying, you know, this Daniel has the spirit of the holy gods. Even though we know he's confessed God before and he's come to this place, he's still very confused about who God is. And I'm sure you've met people that are still pretty confused about who God is. 
And the last thing you want to do is jump in on them on some hyper-condemnation critical attitude and like, man, don't you know who God is? But rather to take the time to explain the one true God. You notice when Daniel comes in to interpret the dream, one thing you'll notice is, is that Daniel's just going to give him the interpretation of the dream. He's not going to give him a theology lesson. He's not going to sit down, okay, look, Nebuchadnezzar, don't you remember the last time we went through this? Don't you remember? He's going to work with what he has. And how important it is for us to learn to work with what we have. Because Nebuchadnezzar doesn't call him first. He calls his other guys first. The guys that let him down last time. And often that's what a person will do. They'll call their friends and their the buddies they hang out with. Maybe the people they party with. And, and they're, at, they're asking, but they really don't want to know. They do kind of want to know, but they don't really want to know. Because people apart from Christ are pretty confused. They're confused about life. They're confused about, I mean, especially if you've got a dream that's caused such great dread and fear inside of you. And Daniel had the answer. He had the answer of the first dream, and he didn't like it, Nebuchadnezzar. But now he has another dream, and instead of calling Daniel first, he calls his friends. And he called Daniel last because he knew Daniel would tell him the truth, but he just wasn't ready for the truth. Remember that. That's really what Nebuchadnezzar, he's sharing his testimony here. He's like, I called for all my friends. I know Daniel. I already know all about Daniel. And if I really wanted to know the truth, I'd call Daniel first. But I really don't want to know the truth because the last time this happened, it didn't end up very well for me. And it didn't end up well in what was trying to be communicated to me because what's being communicated in the gospel, remember, is a complete life change. And I don't know if you've noticed lately, but most people don't like to make a complete life change. Most people don't like to change grocery stores, let alone a complete life change. And most people don't like to change their habits of where they get gas, where they shop, the pattern of their life, when they wake up. This time change is messing with people's heads, you know that. I'm speaking for personal experience, but not that it may be messing with you where now it's all dark at the wrong time and it feels like it's midnight at 5 p.m. And you've got this, all these changes. So no, you know there's going to be some on the ballot. We don't want to change our clocks anymore. Well, imagine that confrontation of life change. Because someone listening to me right now, that is what God is calling you. He is calling for a life change. He's not just speaking to the situation you're in or the trouble you have or the dream that you may. It, it is not. That, that is simply to get your attention so that God might broadcast abroad to you personally. What you need is a life change, a surrender of your life, a surrender of your life, a complete turn away from sin. It's not just an interpretation of the dream. So, you know, he calls the guys again because maybe they might tell him something he wants to hear. But he eventually calls Daniel because he knows Daniel's going to tell him the truth. And that's, that's so typical of the people in our lives. They're confused. They seek out so help everywhere else. I mean, it frustrates you. You've got a friend and, and uh, you've, been, you've been trying to minister to them, but they don't come to you anymore. Instead, they go to the bar and they trust the bartender to give them the advice that they're looking for. And then they're telling you, hey, how was your night? Well, you know, I was talking and, and I got this advice. You go, who told you that? Well, you know, my new friend. Who's your new friend? Well, you know, he's down there on 6th Street. Well, what do you, where? What? The bartender. It's like, you're listening to the bartender? You're asking the bartender about your personal dating issue? You won't call me? Yeah, you know. 
because I kind of know what you're going to tell me, so I really, I'm not asking for your opinion right now, by the way, I just, just letting you know. I bought a new book, it was, it was on Dr. Phil, and so I ordered it on Amazon. Now, I, I read it, and you, you know, it was just life-changing, really, but you're in the same place you were before you bought that book. Then you're 30 bucks out of your pocket on top of that. Why didn't you just come to me? Well, you know, I, I just thought the book would help me. I just thought Dr. Phil would help me. I just thought, you know, I saw this life hacks on Instagram, so I started following them, and that didn't help me. And then eventually they come to you. And how careful you need to be to be, be very gentle with them and just be happy they came to you. Just be happy they came to you. And just speak into their life the truth that God gives to them for them. Be patient with them. Because they called you. And whether they say it or not, a friend calls you, they want to know the truth. They, they, they want you to tell them the truth. And we need to learn, like Jesus did, how to speak the truth in love. How not to be tripped up by people's defense mechanisms of the truth. How not to be tripped up by the devastation of sin. As I was reading ahead in my studies, preparing for coming weeks, I was reminded that in the last days, the Bible Jesus taught us, he said, as in the days of Noah were, so will the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. And the days of Noah were very wicked, vicious days, very sinful days. And when you think about the days of Noah, I want you to consider for a moment Noah. Noah is considered the righteous man of the generation. And he was given an impossible task. Never a drop of rain ever fall, never a flood upon the earth, never the experience of the judgment of God in such a radical way. But he was given instruction by God personally to build this ship, not even knowing what a ship is. And there's no dialogue between God and Noah, like, well, what do you mean? What am I supposed to do? God, where do you want me to build it? Build it in your backyard. Well, what about the HOA? You know, what am I going to do? Like, what if they say no? And and, and for 120 years, he's building, building, building all the mockery, all the evil. It says that all the way to the end, they're give marriage, given in marriage, they're partying, going through life, all the way till that first drop. And Noah entered into the ark with just his family. I don't know if you ever considered that. He didn't enter into the ark with his friends. In the days of Noah, he entered into the ark with his family. That was it. They were the only ones that were influenced by Noah's righteous. He was called a righteous man. He was called in the Bible a preacher of righteousness. And every time he would pound another nail, another board, every time he would fix something, every single one was a preaching of righteousness. And, and as we'll get, and I'm giving you a lot of the study. I haven't put it together yet, but it's all in my mind. <clears throat> the Bible says he did all of this by faith. Seeing the unseen he believed God and it moved him to action. And he was a preacher of righteousness. And yet the only ones that were affected was his family. He didn't have the kind of fellowship that you and I have. He didn't have church. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have godly friends. They mocked him, made fun of him. It was his family. And how much more now do we find ourselves in a place in the new covenant by faith, with the family, trusting God, obeying him, and with the family of God to go forward and ministering the gospel to those that are close to us 
instead of ridiculing them, making fun of them, getting mad at them, just love them. God will lead you. You might get the call this week. And as soon as you see it on your phone, you're like, oh man, you're already, you got all the feelings, oh man. You, and you think, why didn't they call me last week? Why didn't they call me three? Oh man, they're in jail again. Yeah, but they called you. They called you. So what is it that you have to give them but the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the gospel, it is good news. It's not bad news. <laughs> you might be bad news, but the gospel is good news. It's good news to set the captives free. It's good news to transform a life. And so in the testimony here, Daniel's called, but he's called last. And he came, notice verse 8. Mark this phrase. At last, Daniel came. We have these words one night. At last, Daniel came. We are those Daniels. And when you arrive, you may be the testimony. At last, you came. I noticed that Nebuchadnezzar called for him, but Daniel came. We have this mentality in the church, especially as we gather together, like, like as if you know, the calling is for people to come to church. You know, that's not what the Bible teaches. The, the Bible doesn't teach for us as in evangelism to, to bring people to church, as important as gathering is. The call of the Christian is for the church to go to the world. It's not the world to come to the church. The church goes to the world. You are an evangelist. Like whether you see yourself that way or not, it's not the church's response, like not this gathering, this small little gathering of church to be the evangelist. We are the evangelists. It's not the world coming to the church, it's the church going to the world. And in, in any case, like for us as a church, we're not looking to build a church or grow a church. We're looking to be faithful and to love the people that are in front of us and to be massively, as much as we possibly can, outreach, 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 outreach. And you know what happens? Let me just share with you what happens. This is probably something for the larger gathering on the weekends, but let me tell you that are gathered here. A church that's emphasizing outreach really upsets people that believe the church is for them to be served. This consumer mindset that we have in the church. What have you done for me lately? Who knows, I might open my email. What have you done for me lately, Ed? What are you talking about? What do you mean? What have I done for you lately? I woke up, I prayed, I read my Bible, I was faithful with everything in front of me, I'm here teaching the Bible, what do you want me to do for you? Well, uh, Ed, I want you to wash my feet, that's what I want, I want you to wash my feet and my kids' feet, and you were talking about stinky diapers this week, I want you to change my kids' stinky diapers too, because that's, that's what a pastor should do. No, no, a pastor should do what God tells him to do. We're not here to create consumers. If we've made you a consumer, a Christian consumer, forgive us. We've sinned against you. You're not to be a Christian consumer and walk into any church, this church or any church, and go, oh, what do you have for me lately? That's not the attitude of a believer. The attitude of a true believer is you come to God and go, God, what do you have for me? I'm ready to serve you with my life. I didn't get saved to take. Right, God, he didn't create a bunch of takers in us. He created a bunch of givers. We, we aren't the ones to be served. We're the ones to serve. Imagine being, and I, I think that in our fellowship family, our fellowship is filled with an abundance of servants, but not everyone. 
Not everyone's here to, be, to, to serve. Some, some are here to be served. You know, maybe even in the context of, like, just, I'm coming to church, give me a good meal, Ed. Feed me the Bible. Well, can't you feed yourself? Don't you have the Holy Spirit? Don't you have the Holy Spirit? You can open up the Bible. Can't you feed yourself? Have I failed you that much as a pastor to not teach you how to feed yourself? That you're dependent upon me? What if I blow it? What if I make a mistake? What if I feed you rhubarb? What would happen then? <laughs> like, what if I, like, wh- where am I? How will you ever know if I'm right if you don't, you're not in the Word testing everything I say by God's Word? Have you gotten off and you're, you're on some project and you're doing something that you're so passionate about, but you're not passionate about the Lord anymore? You're just so passionate about your cause, you're so passionate, and you're not, you don't, you're not out of a, yeah, but it's for the Lord, but is it with the Lord? So it's for the Lord, great, but is it with him? Is he with you? Is it out of a love relationship? Or are you trying to make a name for yourself? Listen, you can't be a consumer. The church is not here to take from the world. We're here to give. God is the greatest giver. Love is a give. Love is an action. The primary action of love is not emotion. It's giving. Sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he took. That's not what the Bible says. You memorize this verse. You probably memorize it as a kid before you ever even went to church. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so let's find ourselves in a place of reception. Let's be Daniel. At last, Daniel came. He didn't say, oh, you know what? I've done this before, Nebuchadnezzar. Come on over. No, at last he came. I think of that every time I go on a hospital visit. Like, they, they need someone to go. They need, I just went on one recently, and she couldn't leave that. She couldn't leave. She needed somebody to come to her. She needed someone to be in the room with her and encourage her. She needed someone to pray over her. The world needs us to walk into their lives. And one of the things I try to teach the leadership here is how to learn how to invite yourself into someone's life. Not push yourself, invite yourself. Invite yourself into their lives. You know, one of the ways that most people will allow you to invite them into their, invite you into their lives is over food. People love to eat. Jesus loved to eat. And food or coffee, those are great. And, you know, you, you think about coming here, how hard it is to get here at seven. Well, how hard would it be for you to get here at six? And you just go, well, I don't know. That would probably be super hard. Well, try to get here at six and invite someone to meet you here downstairs. Share a cup of coffee together. Just talk. It's so hard to get here on seven. I commend you for making it on seven. Let's start praying about six. Oh, you can't make six? Let's pray about 6.30 then. Let's just see what God will do. When's the last time you stepped out and said, and you just began to think, Lord, man, if I get that call from Nebuchadnezzar, I'm there. At last, Daniel came. I want that to be my, we are those Daniels. I want that to be my testimony. Now, I realize I can't do everything. You can't do everything, but I can do something. And so I want to be faithful to do something. And I want to be faithful to do what God's called me to do. So if anyone ever emails me, what have you done for me? I could tell you what I've done for you. I prayed for you, studied the Bible for you, ministered to the team here, encouraged them, whatever, whatever it might be. Those that serve with me know I, I love a full day. I love to fill as much stuff as I can in a day. And however God has wired you, he's wired you that way to be a giver and not a taker. Don't forget that. A giver, not a taker. Well, notice, 
as we find that Daniel came. He's, notice in verse, <clears throat> verse 16. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest people. Belteshazzar, that was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me because of the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Verse 19. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time. I like how the old King James, the old King James gives a time, a time period, it says, for one hour. So he's overcome in the presence of the king for a time, or in the old King James, for one hour. Now imagine standing there in silence before the king of all the earth for an hour. Once again, this is an area of our lives that we aren't, we aren't good waiters. We don't like to wait. We're very impatient people. And at some time in that 60 minutes, it would get pretty awkward for you. But he's overwhelmed by what he heard. And that's a long time to be silent. But as the Bible says, there's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. And we would be wise to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I had to learn the hard way. And I've learned it over the years. I don't know that I've certainly mastered this. But I'll tell you, I learned this. There was a season as a young pastor where I really believed everybody wanted my opinion. So I gave it. And I believe it was a biblical opinion. Uh, but I would give my opinion on things when the person never asked me for my opinion. And I found that I was hurting people. I found that I was misrepresenting, or excuse me, misunderstanding what was being said. I found that the person actually didn't want my opinion at all. They just wanted me to pray for them, or wanted me to share scripture with them, or a thousand other things I learned the hard way. Till one day, it's almost like the Holy Spirit said, okay, Ed, don't you realize nobody wants your opinion until they ask you? And so I adopted a new way of dealing with people. If you want my opinion, you'll ask me. If you don't ask me, I'm not telling you. And even so, I've learned my opinion really doesn't matter. So if you ask for my opinion, I hope I'm trained well enough that the first thing out of my mouth is, what does the Bible say? Because I don't know about you, but I've changed my opinion a couple thousand times in my lifetime. I see things differently now. Some things I've learned the hard way. Some things I've just simply changed. God has matured me. And so I don't really give my opinion very much these days. But I'll give you what I believe God's opinion on the matter is. What does the Bible say? It's a good how. What does the Bible say? Because that's the answer that you really need. And I think it's a motto in ministering for us that silence, too often we speak before we think. And a big problem with listening, listen, married couples, this is a big problem with listening. The difference between hearing and listening Hearing, you hear the words. Listen, you process and you're, you're intently focused. But the problem we have in listening or hearing in that whole area is while the person's talking, we're formulating our answer and therefore we don't know what the heck they're saying. And then you wonder, why don't you understand? You just don't understand me. I do understand. You don't understand me. I'm giving you an insight of Marie and I last night. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We've certainly had our days with that where 
I know that I fall into this where I formulate my answer when I should just listen to her. She doesn't even need an answer. She just wants me to listen to her. And we do that with each other in close relationships. We find ourselves on the pedestal as the most important person. This is real important too to those of you that are serving Jesus. When everybody comes to you for answers, you don't have all the answers. And don't get a big head because they do come to you for all the answers. Just stay humble and pray and seek wisdom for someone. Your opinion's not going to save them or change them. It's the word of God. It's his wisdom. And it's a trap for all of us where people are hurting, even our friends. Our friends are hurting, struggling, they need help. And all we want to do is diagnose them and fix them. And how many times have we diagnosed a problem and tried to fix someone and that made things worse, not better? Well, you know, what you need to do is, and what you need to do is, what you need, hey, why don't I just pray for you because you're really messed up and I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, let's just seek God together. I don't, I don't know how, I don't know. And you're not in any way a, a failure when you look someone in the eye and go, I don't know. I don't know. This is a big mess. I don't know how, we're, I don't know how you're going to get out of it. But let's pray because God loves you and he's going to lead you out of this as you follow him. He's going to help you. Christians, you know, we have a bad reputation of sorts. We own it all. Uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard this phrase where you, you, you know, you're shoving religion down my throat. That's a pretty graphic description, you know. It's like you got them down, hold them down and you're stuffing the Bible down their throat and it's a pretty graphic description. It's, it's more of a defense mechanism than anything, but, but it's a graphic description of how people feel when other believers don't listen, don't respond, and don't even show up. Well, come back to the text with me. He's quiet for a time frightened now Daniel is by the meaning of the dream, verse 19. And the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, not you. The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and the birds nested in its branches, verse 22. That tree, your majesty, is you, for you have grown strong and great, and your greatness reaches up to heaven, and your rule to the ends of the earth. And this is what the dream, excuse me, verse 23, then you saw a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means. Your majesty and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord the King. You'll be driven from human society and you'll live in the fields with wild animals. You'll eat grass like a cow and you'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass and you'll live this way until you learn. Listen, you will live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. How, how long will you live in this situation until you learn the Most High? You're, you're going to go through this, Nebuchadnezzar. The dream was given to you. You're the tree. This is going to happen to you. And you're going to live this way until you learn 
the Most High. And there was a message for him. And that was that the Most High rules over the kingdoms and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump, verse 26, and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you'll receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you'll continue to prosper. So it's a plea and not a command. And it's a simple plea. King, do what is right and God will bless you. Do what is right. If you turn your life around right now, these nightmares will turn into sweet dreams. And he provides the solution and he waits. And that's one of the wisest things that you can do with your friends and family is provide the solution and wait. Provide the answer and wait. God's the one that will change a heart, not you. Let me show you what I mean. Would you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as we wind down tonight? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is so important that we need to be reminded of it. We take so much burden upon ourselves and we're so concerned and we're so worried. But you know, it's God that gives the increase. It's God that does the finishing work. It's God that he finishes what he begins. And we need to provide the solution and wait. Notice with me in verse 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, as he's writing to the believers, I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it's God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Or in the New King James, God gives the increase. I planted, Paulus watered, but it's God that makes the seed grow. So plant the seeds, church. Sow the seeds with generosity. Be a giver of the seed of the gospel. And come alongside someone and water it. Ministering to people. Serving them. And then wait for God to give the increase. There's no need for undue and unnecessary pressure that we put on someone. It's like, don't you feel sorry yet? What's your problem? Repent. Be baptized. Just get it over with. Just forsake that sin, but rather keep planting. Keep watering. And then pray for God to give the increase. You know, there'll be times when I'm talking to someone and they will look me in the eye and say something like, Ed, what you say makes sense. I understand what you're saying. And they're in that place where they hear, you're right. And that's the beauty of the word of God, you know. The word of God is right every single time. There isn't a time when you share God's word when it's not right. The only mistake that we often make with the word is not sharing it, but having it misapplied in people's lives. But like just if you open up, the word of God is right. It's yes and all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. So the word of God is right. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And so we don't need to defend this book. We just need to share it. I don't need to defend, oh, you know, Ed, you're teaching the Bible and you're in the same book for, you know, two years. I don't need to defend that. You're, you're right. We're in the book. And it'll probably be another year. If you come back in 12 months, we might be finished by then. I don't need to defend that. That's my commitment. I don't need to defend, well, you know, Ed, if you were just uh, had shorter messages, maybe my family would come back. Don't come back. And if you do, I see you in here, I'll teach longer just for you. I'm not doing things artificially. I'm teaching you the Bible. That's my commitment. If I'm the last man standing in Aurora teaching the Bible verse by verse, so be it. And I might be teaching myself in a mirror. That's fine. Because I need to hear the word of God. 
And I want the word of God. It is the word of God. It's not fancy messages and fancy slogans. It's that, those stuff can get people's attention. And I may use stuff that might get you attention, but only for the purpose of getting the word of God into your heart. That's it. You've got to know God's word. You've got to know that like God used Daniel, God will use you. What made Daniel so special? He was a young kid living life taken captive, you could say kidnapped, brainwashed, or at least attempted to, living in a foreign land with foreign people in foreign language, foreign religion. And what made Daniel any different than you and me? All he did was stand up and say, I'm not compromising. I'm not going to compromise. That's it. That's what he did. Can't you do that? Yes? Amen? Can't you stand and say, I won't compromise? You don't have to make a big deal about it. You don't have to post it on Facebook. I'm, I'm no compromiser. Just do it. Just do it. We'll know. You don't need to post it. We'll know. Your life will start making a difference. You'll be surrounded with new believers. God will use you and your family. You'll step out and serve and minister to the kids that need hope. You'll, you'll minister, as we, as we were praying, I couldn't help but think of Randy, one of our elders here, one of our board members, who is devoted to ministering to veterans with PTSD. Previous and current, those that serve. Like, he's committed. I couldn't help but pray for him. And the sister in our group prayed for him. What makes you any different than Randy? Randy's just a guy who said, here I am. Lord, use me. And God said, you want to be used? I'll use you. But the mode today is people complain about being used. They complain about service. They complain about having to rearrange their schedule for someone. And you're just missing out because God will use somebody else. While you're complaining, God will use someone else. And it'll be a joy for the person that God uses. It's always a joy for the person that God uses. Will you go home tired? Probably. Will you lose sleep? Most likely. Will it cost you something financially? Maybe. But man, there's always joy in the servant of the Lord. God always uses you. Even if you're planting and you never, you know, a farmer, if you think about it, when a farmer plants a seed, he doesn't see an immediate crop. He's got to take care of that, fertilize it, get the furrows right, get rid of all the creatures and all. He's got to take care of that seed, water, and over time it comes. And so think about all the seeds you've planted over the years that maybe this is the harvest year. This is it. And you'll be like Daniel, you'll show up. But we don't need to be pressuring people and shoving the word down their throat, just Build the bridge and share the word. All right, so let's come back. Verse 28 now. But these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. And as he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. <laughs> Okay, Nebuchadnezzar. And wow, listen. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer the ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass over you while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. At same hour, judgment was fulfilled. 
Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of heaven. And he lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. (laughs) You know one of the things this teaches us? Daniel was a true prophet. What Daniel said would happen, happened. You know another thing this teaches us? The dream that troubled Nebuchadnezzar was from the Lord. All of it. To the detail. You're like, wow, God, you know what you're doing. And he literally became as an animal. There's actually a condition that is called zoanthropy, where a person thinks himself as an animal and he acts like one. And here's Nebuchadnezzar, the king of all The king of all the known world is like an animal. And this just reminds us as we head out that pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And for this brother, you know, God's been very gracious with us that deal with pride. He's been very gracious to us. He's been very patient with us. But for Nebuchadnezzar, is while the words were in his mouth. Imagine how many times... What would happen to you if in the midst of pride, while the words were still in your mouth, some judgment came down, some issue you came that you had to deal with? That's where he's at. Pride is nasty, and it is not to be a friend to any of us. The pride of man. Because pride goes before a fall, the church needs to be ready to catch. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 speaks of, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share one another's burdens and in this way the law of Christ. And there are countless hundreds around us who will either come to us when there's a problem or run away from us. It all depends on whether we see ourselves as fishermen and fisherwomen. Fisher of men. That was a common phrase in the time of Jesus. The idea of the rabbis and their teachings would go fishing for men. But Jesus, the true rabbi, he came to not take advantage and draw men to himself, but rather to draw men and women to himself so he could give himself for them. The greatest servant. As we see the days getting darker, may we provide the nets and the anchors for people that are living a mad life. For seven years of his life, he wasted because of pride. It says, and after this time, verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, his kingdom is eternal, and all the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, What do you mean doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as the head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven, and all his acts are just and true, and he is able. Mark this in your Bible. He is able to humble the proud. What a chapter. What a chapter of the faithfulness of God. The, there's, just the, there's no need for us to be so prideful and haughty, but rather to take the position of a servant and to serve. 
and to serve and to serve some more. How in Jesus' name, in the power of the Spirit, and just watch God. This, this, this world as it gets darker and more difficult, as people are walking around just mindless and overcome by their sin, the church is, this is such a prime time for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe that's you today. It's such a prime time for the gospel to take root in your heart. It is the time. There's never been a better time than now to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. So Father, we're asking that we would be dealt a death blow to our pride for those that are trying to make a name for themselves, for those that want accolades and attention, for those that have, you know, maybe just become prideful in their own hearts and we haven't seen or heard it yet. I pray for the prideful in their marriage. I pray for the prideful as kids. I pray for the prideful in sin. I pray for the prideful that we have it all. We think everyone wants our opinion or a thousand different ways this nasty little sin takes root in our hearts. And I'm grateful that I haven't been turned into an animal-like creature, Lord, and seven years of my life thrown away, but I don't want to throw away seven years, seven days, seven months, seven weeks, seven minutes. I pray that, God, we can make every moment count for the gospel and that we would hear more testimonies like Nebuchadnezzar. True true, real testimonies. And so thank you, Lord, for the privilege of serving you in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.